love you, and I'm so thankful, Lord, for all of your good gifts to each one of us and to the body. Lord, bless Pastor Matt as he brings the word. May our hearts be open to receive, our ears open to hear. May we look forward to everything that we'll be learning today and to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning again. How are you? Good morning. Are you guys excited about Thanksgiving? It's my favorite holiday of the year. I love eating some food. I love hanging out. I love watching football. It's like all the best things all wrapped into one day. You can't beat it. This morning, um, before we start talking about Thanksgiving too much, we're going to dive back into our um, Kingdom Come series. If you haven't been here or if you've missed a few, we have been going through Acts 1 through 9, taking a look at the first followers of Christ, how they lived, how they pursued Jesus, how they stepped out in faith, how they were obedient to the Holy Spirit. We're taking a look at what they did so we can kind of get an idea of maybe how we should go about our lives. Um, this week, I'm supposed to wrap it up and cover chapters 7, 8, and 9. Mm-hmm. So if you have lunch plans, you can just, just hold on to them. Well, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm not going to wrap up 7, 8, 9. I am going to wrap up our series, but I want to encourage you to, to take a look at 7, 8, 9. There are some really incredible accounts of, of people's lives being changed and, and the power of the Holy Spirit. You have um, chapter 7, super exciting chapter. Um, if your name is Stephen and your parents named you after Stephen, this is the one where you know he um, gets killed. You know, he gets stoned. They throw the stones at him. But there's something powerful that happens in the middle of that. While they're stoning him, he looks up to heaven and says, he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he spoke to Jesus, and he said, please forgive them. Please don't hold this against them. What an incredible, incredible thing to, to be able to, in the middle of being killed by people, forgive them. It's powerful. And then in the next chapter, you have Philip and, and the eunuch. I mean, you don't get a whole lot more intense than that. Um, you know, guy shows up one place, and he's gone another place. That's pretty neat. But the power in that story is, is the eunuch is there, and he's reading the scriptures. And, and Philip comes up to him and asks do you know what you're reading, or do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how do I know unless somebody tells me? And what a call in that simple phrase, what a call to us. What a call for us as Christians to understand that there are people out there that are searching, there are people out there that are reading Scripture, that are wondering about God, and we have the opportunity to, to explain to them who that is and who Jesus is and what Jesus did for him. And then, of course, you have chapter 9, which is the conversion of Saul to Paul, the guy who persecuted the church, who killed uh, many Christians, who put Christians in, in prison, then has an encounter with Jesus and gets saved, and then later on gets filled with the Holy Spirit. That is your wrap-up for 7, 8, and 9. So I did my job. Let's go eat. Yeah. Yes. My stomach is always rumbling. It's just kind of a constant state for me. But this morning, what I really would like to do is, is sh- share with you out of the Acts passages and take a look just a little bit and kind of wrap up um, what I really have felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me directly and that I hope is applicable for you this morning. So it's not going to be our normal, we're going to read some verses and really dig into them, but we're going to really talk about as a whole a couple of different things that I, I feel um, the Holy Spirit is, is, is saying to us. So last week, um, Billy closed the service, Pastor Billy closed the service by commissioning us. I, how many were you here? Were you here? How many, that was, for me, that was incredibly powerful. 
incredibly powerful to, to understand and to fully know that we are called, each and every one of us are fully called to walk out our faith in the public in to reach people that it is not just um, a job or a duty. It is our call of each and every Christian um, that's in this church. And for us as a church to state that and, and commission everyone uh, for me was super exciting. And, the, and then, of, of course, how my brain works, my left going, what now? How many of you, did you guys ask yourself any questions? Anybody happen to say, what now? What now? I'm commissioned. I'm called to go. What now? So this morning's uh, sermon, if you like titles and you want to write them down, is called, What Now and What If? What Now and What If? And so as I've been reading through Acts 1 through 9 and, and pouring over and kind of letting God just kind of speak to me and let the Holy Spirit just kind of do some work in my life, um, that's exactly what has happened. The Holy Spirit has really been working on me and, and changing some of my thoughts and refocusing some of my, my thoughts or my ideas and, and about all kinds of things. You know, I've been part of church since I was a baby. I grew up in a pastor's home and grew up in church, and I've been doing ministry for the better part of my adult life. And you can decide how long my adult life is based on what your description is of adult. But all my life with those combined, I've been around church and been in part of ministries and, and those kinds of things and, and have certain thoughts and ideas. And, and as everybody does, whether you're you know, involved in full-time ministry or just involved in church, we have all these ideas of what it should look like. And, and this week, as, as I really started digging into the last couple of chapters, the Holy Spirit began to reveal more and more of some places that I was a little probably out of line and just needed to refocus. So I'm going to share that with you this morning. So um, we're going to dig into this Acts just one more time, but we're actually going to start in Revelation. It's a good place to start the closing of Acts is in Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to read just the first few verses, first four to be exact. I just want to share with you what's on my heart. This is what it says, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Everybody there? Wow. So no? Everybody there? All right. Everybody can at least listen, right? To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. What a compliment to the church in Ephesus that, that Jesus is speaking to him and telling him, I have seen what you have done. I am excited about what you've done. I approve of what you've done. And all these things that they have done, that is really all those things are part of our responsibility as a church. And then Jesus says this, and it's not exactly a phrase everybody wants to hear from Jesus says, yet I hold this against you. And here, very popular verse, you have forsaken your first love. And I tell you, as I've read through Acts 1 and Acts 2 and Acts 3, really, especially the first four, every time I read it, this is the verse that comes to me. Every time, I, I, every single time over the last five, six weeks that I've read Acts 1 through 4, this verse comes to me, that you have forsaken your first love. And, and I knew that that was a, a direct word for me, and I, and I understood what the Holy Spirit was saying to me, that this, these are things that, that you've done well. You, you've done the things of the church right, but what I really want and what is really the most important is my relationship with you and your relationship with me. This is me and God. 
not, not me and you. That comes second. And so as I began to pour through the scriptures and, and, and hearing this verse and pour through the scriptures and hearing this verse, I began to notice a pattern that as you begin to look at these accounts of these men and of these women in Acts who are following Jesus, in my opinion, it's not necessarily stated super clear, but in my opinion, they had that right. They had that right. That their first and foremost responsibility, the thing that they worried about the most, the thing that they held the most sacred was their time and their relationship with the Lord. Because in my opinion, if you don't have that right, the other things that they did are impossible. Absolutely impossible to do. Especially if you look at 7 and 8 and 9, it's impossible for Stephen, in my opinion, to forgive people who are in the midst of killing him unless his sole foundation, unless his, his sole focus was the love that God had for him and the love he had for God and the fact that Jesus had paid the price for his sins and that, that he loved Jesus. There's no way you can forgive people who are killing you unless you have this right. You, you can't be Ananias in chapter 9 and be told by the Holy Spirit, hey, I want you to go to Paul and I want you to lay hands on him and I want you to pray for him. If you, if you read that passage of Scripture, you'll see in there, Ananias goes, don't you know who that is? Right? Don't you know who that is? He, he's probably thinking, I'm likely to walk in that room and get killed by Paul, thrown in jail. This is a trap. That's what I would be thinking. But instead, he went. And he laid hands on Paul. And Paul was healed from his blindness. As his scales fell off his eyes, he was healed. And as he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And as I began to look back all through Acts, I began to notice that this was running through all of these guys. This was their main focus. This was the call of their life was to cultivate that relationship. When I asked the question of myself, what now? We commissioned everybody and we said, you are called. You are called to your neighbors. You are called to your coworkers. You are called to those around you. What now? The most important thing you can do for your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus or your coworker that doesn't know Jesus is to develop your relationship with God. To fully try and understand how much it is that God loves you. What the price that Jesus paid for your sins so that you could have eternal life. That is what begins to transform our thoughts. That is what begins to transform our minds and our actions. So that then we can say, you know, I understand this and I'm beginning to fully understand this. And then I begin to realize there's other people that need this. So what now in my opinion, has got to start with cultivating that relationship. And I can't think of a better example in the entire Bible than Peter. After I preached on Peter uh, three or four weeks ago out of Acts, I began to take a look at Peter's life. And Peter might be one of the biggest uh, examples of, of somebody changing in their understanding and their development and their relationship with the Lord. If you look back at Peter's life through the Gospels, we remember Peter for being a little bit brash, a little bit high-strung, Definitely let's do before we think, let's say before we think. You guys remember this Peter, you know? This is the Peter that denied Jesus three times. This is Peter that um, started walking on water and then decided not to focus on Jesus and fell into the water. This is Peter who said, um, you know, look, you're not going to wash my feet. And then he went extreme because Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can't enter the camp. Okay, wash all of me. This is Peter who right before he denied Jesus cut off somebody's ear. Right? And then we get to Peter in Acts chapter 4. And then you have Peter saying to the officials of the day who are accusing him of all kinds of things and are trying to throw him in jail and are trying to, to crush him, kindly beginning to share the gospel with them. 
I think Peter of old that hadn't grown in his relationship with the Lord probably would have started screaming at them or maybe thrown a stone to them first or maybe he had that sword in his side and was going to cut somebody's ear off. I don't know. But what you see is somebody who says, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I know you're yelling at me and I know you're accusing me. I know you're going to th- try and throw me in jail, but I'm going to tell you about the Lord. I don't, I don't think you do that unless you've developed your relationship with the Lord. So when you think about what now and, and what am I called to do, the first thing you're ever called to do, and we say here all the time, is we, that we love God, that we fully understand that we are loved by him, that Jesus paid the price and loves us so much that he paid the price for our sins, and we're called to love God. That's the first thing I began to notice as, as, as the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. And then the second thing um, was community. Community is a hot word, right? We talk about community um, in church. We talk about community in culture. We talk about building communities, all those kinds of things. And I think sometimes we sh- shorten the fullness of what community can be. Just take a look with me real quick in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it really kind of defines what community is and what God thinks of community and how the first believers had community. And it reads this way, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All believers, all believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this is, this is a pretty common idea, a common uh, definition for uh, us as Christians of, of, of what community is. And it is a complete and full and total definition. The problem is, I think when we tend to read this, we don't allow the fullness of it to uh, permeate our hearts and our minds, and so then it doesn't permeate our actions. So a lot of times when we talk about com- communion, and by the way, this is new for me. I've, I've tried this headset thing, and I don't have a mic, so I don't know what I do with these all the time. So if I move them around a lot, I'm sorry. I just figured I'd try something new. <clears throat> so if it's distracting, I'm sorry. I'll go back to the regular mic next week. It's okay, good. Sorry, I get distracted even as I preach. This, like, it might not be distracting for you, but I'm going, what am I doing with my? <laughs> All right, so back to um, community. <clears throat> Often we define community, at least, at least by our actions, maybe not in our hearts and maybe not in our minds fully, but at least by our actions, we tend to define community as, as this kind of uh, part right here where we says, um, yeah, we, we get together and we listen to the uh, teaching and we fellowship and we break bread and, and we pray. And, and we have all things in common, and we provide for each other's needs. And I think that's how we tend to think of community, that I need a group of people that I can bind together with, that I can hang out with, that I can break bread. Listen, I love breaking bread. If it was a spiritual gift, definitely top of my list is, is breaking bread. I like to break bread in community. I like to break bread by myself. I like to break twos, threes, twenties. I'll break bread. But I think sometimes we tend to leave it kind of right there. That we, we, we get together in community so that we can have some fellowship, so that we can hang out, so that we can have some time together. And, and, and maybe, maybe I talk about my relationship with the Lord, you know, that I'm pursuing God. Here's what God's showing me this week. And, and maybe that's what you do with your friends and, and your community group and your small group or, or whatever you might consider your close, close-knit community. 
And we do that. We pursue the Lord and we talk about it. But according to this scripture, there's another level of community that if, if we're not intentional, we'll miss. And we'll miss the power of it. So you have this idea that I pursue God and you pursue God and we talk about it. It's one level of community. But in here, there's another level of community that says that you and I are going to get together. It says all believers get together and pursue God together. You see the difference? That there's some aspects of community which means I'm going to get together with you and you're going to get together with me and we're going to pursue God together. And, and the first thing that comes to my mind, and it's, it's actually said here, there's really three phases. Two are here and one's a little bit later in, in Acts. One is, is prayer, that we get together as a body to seek God, to, to petition God, to, to ask Him for things, to seek His face, to ask Him to show us you know, what we're supposed to do. Another thing is that we're called together as a body to worship, that we get together and we worship the Lord. Later in Acts, it talks about that they fasted together, that they fasted for the same things. It's not like, hey, I'm going to fast this week, which is okay. Don't, don't, get the, don't think I'm saying it's not okay. It's okay for me to fast for things in my life, but sometimes it, we're called to fast together for things. As I was reading this, I began to realize that these guys and girls, men and women in Acts, were so committed to corporate community. And I realized that I wasn't as committed to corporate community as I thought I was. Because, you know, honestly, there's a lot of things I come to that are corporate because I need to, right? You guys, you know, I've, I've got to be here. It's part of my job. But the question is, why do you go and what keeps you from going or what gets you to go? And as I was reading this and, and, and that kind of, this all kind of came to a head Tuesday night for me. So Tuesday night is our small group night. And after our small group, there was a prayer meeting going on that somebody had um, organized. And this prayer meeting it was actually the second time. I think they did one two weeks ago. Is that right? Is there a week in between? And two weeks ago, my wife went after small group. I took the kids home. My wife went, and she came back and said it was incredible. It was a, just an incredible time of prayer, you know, for people in our church who are sick and, and for our church and, and all the kinds of things. And she just said it was incredible. Honestly, I don't remember everything she said, but she did say it was incredible. I'm sorry that I didn't listen well to what you said. <laughs> Confession is good for the soul. Confession from the pulpit is one of the safest things you can do. <laughs> so... When, the, when we found out they were doing it again, there's a group of people organizing, you know, on their own, a prayer night, we decided that I should get the opportunity to go, and I was looking forward to it. You know, I wasn't necessarily like, oh, I'm so excited, but I, I was looking forward to it. And so a friend of mine came with me, and so for story purposes, we'll call him James. James, uh, James Thomas is a good, that's a good name. You waiting for it? No? Okay. There's a few of you that get it. That's Okay. So me and my friend, we went into this prayer meeting, and it was right after small group, and so we were a few minutes late. It started at 7.30. We walked in. It was in the chapel, and we walked in, and at that time, there was about 25 people all right around the altar, 25 people right around the altar, and I was thinking, wow, that's awesome. Look at these people in here praying. So we walked in, and, and they were gathered around the altar, and they began to repent for our city they began to repent for our country for the thing kind of standing in the gap repenting for our country they were repenting for abortions that have taken place they're repenting on behalf of the church at large you know maybe where we haven't stood up where we were they were crying out to god and then somebody started singing and they weren't singing a song we knew it was a song that god was giving them a song of the lord and people started joining and all of a sudden worship just erupted it just it just erupted and you can ask james thomas he was there Wave your hand. Everybody knows who James Thomas is. There he is. I'm sorry. 
the power and the presence of God in that room was, it was just overwhelming. But for me, and, and for what the Holy Spirit was doing in my heart, the most overwhelming thing, and by the time um, it really kind of started going, there was close to 35 people in that room. The thing that was so mo more overwhelming than the presence of God, and I know that sounds weird, but just stay with me, was the passion of the people in that room. It, they were so passionately seeking God. They were so passionately crying out for God's mercy and crying out for people who needed jobs and crying out for people who needed healing. And there was just a passion that began to arise. You know, there was no CD playing uh, or album or whatever we call those now. There was none of that playing. That they weren't even playing music yet. Steph was there and she was, started playing the piano a little later. This was just pure passion that I love Jesus. And people said, you know, we're going to pray. And so they came. And the Holy Spirit just whispered to me and nudged me in my heart and said, Matt, it's simple. He said, Matt, it's simple. And then he said this. He said, what do you need? And I was like, oh, what do I need? <laughs> Let me tell you what I need. And then I just realized very quickly, you know how you have those moments in your life where it seems like God downloads 45 minutes worth of stuff. It really happens in about 10 or 15 seconds. You know, he just kind of fast forwards you. And he said, that's, that's not what I'm asking you. I'm not asking you what you need. He said, I'm asking what you need to be here. And, and maybe you don't catch it right away, but for me, I knew exactly what God was saying. I knew exactly what the Holy Spirit was getting at. See, when I sometimes hear, hey, let's have a prayer meeting, I begin to ask questions. And maybe you do too. What time is the prayer meeting? What day? Oh, that's, you know, Monday night football? Mm, I don't know. We'll see what happens. How long is the prayer meeting going to last? Who's leading the prayer meeting? Who's coming to the prayer meeting? What are we praying for? And then I would descend, you know, I'll make my decision. And the Holy Spirit was saying, what do you need? And I realized in Acts, what they needed was somebody to say, hey, let's go pray. You know, when, when, when Peter got done at the Sanhedrin and they let him go, the first thing he went and did was back to his people and they prayed. And they prayed for those people. And I was sitting in that room and I was looking around the room and I had this sense that these people are here because somebody said, hey, we're going to go to church and we're going to pray. And I was there because I heard it was good. And so I went. But what happens if I hadn't heard that it was good? What happens if I had just heard, hey, there's a group of people who are going to pray? Would I have gone? It's a great question. And I've answered that question. And I'm not going to tell you what the answer is. I will let you answer it for yourself. You know, so the question is, what now and what if? What if? What if when somebody came to you or somebody came to me or, or we put it out on the prayer chain or we put it out on an email that said, hey, a group of us are going to pray. What if we just said yes? What if, what if we just said, okay, people are going to get together. My community is going to get together. We're going to seek the Lord. We're going to pray for our church. We're going to pray for our country. What if we just said yes? I was overwhelmed by the passion of the 30 people that were in that room. What if I had walked in and there had been 125? What happens in a church when we just say, hey, you're going to pray, I'm going to pray? Because that's what community is. Community is not just about fellowship. It's not just about getting together. It's not just about support. It is about coming together and seeking the Lord together. But often we put parameters on it. We put parameters on, on, on when are, is it okay for me to really express myself in worship? You know, does it got to be early in the morning? Does it got to be late in the afternoon? Does it have to be certain songs? Does it have to be certain styles? Does it have to be certain something? And God is just calling us to worship.
drawing us, is God is just calling us to pray. God is, is calling us sometimes to gather together and fast and not put so many parameters, but just answer the call to be in complete and total community together to seek his face. And I begin to ask, what if, what if we just do that? If we just show up and we begin to pray and seek the Lord for our country and for our city and for our neighbors and for our family members who don't know Jesus or for our finances that are struggling or for whatever it might be, healing that you need, what if we gathered together every time somebody said, hey, we're going to pray? What would it look like? And the third thing I saw in there was as a community, they were committed to obedient, being obedient to the Holy Spirit. If you read all through Acts 1 through 9, all, all, all of them, all through there, you will see over and over the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't have time to go into um, how all that happens and how it all happened there, but you'll see it in every single way imaginable, every possible scenario of people being filled with the Holy Spirit. So no matter what you believe about when it should happen, it happens. And Acts 9 is proof. But what else you'll see in there is not only did people become filled with the Holy Spirit, but they were massively obedient to the Holy Spirit. You see it with Peter when he was being accused. You see it with Peter right actually before that when, when the Holy Spirit first came in Acts 1 and 2 and he began to speak to the crowd. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he began to speak to the crowd. And then in, in chapter 4 you see him, he speaks to the Sanhedrin when he's being accused. He responds to them. You see Stephen filled with the Holy Spirit speaking forgiveness. You see Ananias filled with the Holy Spirit doing something you know he doesn't really want to do. And every single time you see results of God moving and people being saved and God moving and people being healed and God moving and, and lives change. And so I wonder again, what if? What if every time the Holy Spirit nudged me? What if every time the Holy Spirit spoke to me? What if the, every time the Holy Spirit spoke to you and every time the Holy Spirit nudged you, you just said yes? And here's the hard part. Nine times out of ten. It's not official research. It's not Barna research. This is mine. Nine times out of ten, when the Holy Spirit nudges you, and the Holy Spirit speaks to you, and the Holy Spirit calls you to do something, it's going to make you uncomfortable. You know, and, and, and it's going to take you somewhere where you don't necessarily want to be. It's, it's going to take you outside of what you think maybe you're good at. Because when the Holy Spirit speaks and things begin to happen, one thing they want, He wants to make sure happens is that God gets the glory. This is what I believe, that God gets the glory. So often he uses people that in ways that they're not accustomed to so people can say, whoa, what's going on there? But often we put parameters on the Holy Spirit. Again, just like we do with prayer or worship or fasting. We say, hey, listen, I'm not really comfortable with that or, you know, I'm kind of busy or I'm kind of tired or I'm, you know, I, I, you know, I can't afford to change jobs. I can't afford to move cities. I can't afford to do this or to do that. I've got to do this and make sure I'm taking care of myself. And what we begin to do is we begin to put way too much trust in ourselves and not enough trust in God and the Holy Spirit and what He's speaking. What if, if, if we just responded? And, that, and you know, the other question I came up with was, what if the disciples hadn't? You know, what if, what if Peter did just yell and scream at those guys? What if Ananias didn't go? What if Stephen didn't confess uh, forgiveness to those guys? What would have happened? And so as I pour through this, the Holy Spirit just began to speak these three things to me. That we have got to come back to 
to our first love. If, if the what now, what do I do now that God has called me? The most important thing you can ever do, the most important thing I can ever do for myself and for my family and for my friends and for your coworkers is to pursue God passionately. To cultivate that relationship, to spend time with Him, and then let everything else we do come out of that. Because when we begin to operate in our own, you will be offended all the time, or you will offend people all the time. You will be mean, you will be ungracious, you won't be kind. But if we walk in our relationship with the Lord first, you know how much easier community becomes? Because then when I make a mistake, you can look at me with grace. And when you make a mistake, I can look at you with grace. If I'm if I'm not really close with the Lord, and you know, sometimes it kind of ebbs and flows in our, our life, and you know, there's been weeks where I haven't been as close to the Lord as I should, and, and you can tell. You can tell on how I respond. You can tell how I respond to my wife or my kids or my coworkers or my friends. You can tell. But I promise, if you cultivate that relationship, you will respond more often than not well to people. You'll respond in grace, and you'll respond in mercy, and you'll respond in love. And it's not absent or void by any means of truth, but you can speak truth from a place that's loving versus speaking a truth because I want to be right and show you where you're wrong. And if we start there, the what now is, is that we start there. And then being committed to each other. And not just committed to hang out, not just committed to be friends, not just committed to be social, but be committed to meet together to seek God for our church and to seek God for our city and to seek God for healing and to seek God together. And so I'm challenging you. We, we're joining our challenge ourselves that when there's a prayer meeting going on, if by any means one of us will be there. Because we just have felt this week, and, and I guess last week it started too, that that's one of the calls of community, that if, if it's happening, we need to be there. And lastly, we need to be committed. Committed to saying yes to the power and the voice of the Holy Spirit. When He speaks, we listen. When He speaks, we follow. And we trust. We trust that God meets us there when we step out of faith. We trust that the Holy Spirit will continue to speak when we step out. And I promise, as much as my promise, I can't, as, as much as I can promise something, that if we're willing to do those things, you'll begin to see your life change and those around you, their life change. That's what happened in Acts. When they did those three things, lives were changed. It says 12 men turned the world upside down. Way more than 12 people in here. So if we're willing to commit to those, what if? What now and what if if we commit to those things? Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you. Oh, Lord, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your redemptive work in our life. Lord, we thank you that you are alive and well and you speak to us today. Lord, I pray for each and every person here that we would take up the call. Lord, that we would draw close to you. Lord, that we'd be willing to, to bind our hearts together in prayer and worship and fasting to seek your face as one body. Lord, that we would be willing to say yes when the Holy Spirit speaks. Lord, and we'd be willing to follow wherever you guide us, wherever you lead us, wherever you take us. Lord, I pray for boldness, and I pray for strength. I pray for wisdom in all of these things. Most of all, Lord, I pray for your grace and your mercy in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.